Calling all innovators, the World Economic Forum has opened up applications for its 2023 Technology Pioneers Community. Every year, the forum recognizes a limited number of companies as technology pioneers and incorporates them into its initiatives, activities, and events where they bring cutting-edge insights to critical issues facing the world. The 2023 application form is available right now at the top of weforum.org, but due by January 31st. Make sure you apply and spread the word. You start with the rejection, but you start to build and then the world rise. Welcome to Meet the Leader, the podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, internationally renowned architect, Francis Carré. He'll talk about pioneering sustainable architecture and the importance of giving back. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina with the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. I was living in a community where the survival of the entire community is depending on the support of every single member. Today, Francis Carré is an influential architect with a studio in Berlin. But he was born in Africa, in Burkina Faso, in Tagando, a village with about 2,000 people. In this village, there was no clean drinking water, no electricity, and no schools. And when his father sent him to a neighboring village for his primary education, some called his father stupid, saying Francis would never return. He did return, however but only after studying more to bring back more to the people in Gondo. He'd go on to study carpentry and language and eventually architecture in Berlin. But he was so eager to give back to Gondo that he built his first school in 2001, three years before graduating from Berlin's Technical University with his architecture degree. He's since founded his own firm, as well as the Carré Foundation, a nonprofit organization that designs public infrastructure for Gondo, with projects that capture rainwater into reservoirs for dry seasons, or improve sanitation systems by collecting organic waste for fertilizer. His designs leverage local materials and traditional techniques to create projects that are both comfortable, affordable, sustainable, and inspiring. Last year, his work was recognized with the Prisker Prize for how his buildings use architecture to transform communities. My colleague Gail Markovitz talked to Francis this spring. He shared his experience building that first school and the unexpected challenges that came with it. He also shared how he's grown as a leader and architect and what he hopes others will learn from his example. I'll let them get started. I was born and uh, grew up in a little village in uh, Burkina Faso, so named Gando. I think it was about 2,000 people in this village. So I was living in a community where the survival of the entire community is depending on the support of every single member. In this village, there was no clean drinking water. So, I mean, like, you really needed to go far to get the water. There was no electricity and also no schools. My father was part of the traditional leading structure, and then he will sometimes get letters from the central government on programs or from family relatives living outside the village, for example, in the Ivory Coast, or outside the country, and they will send him letters. And he would have to wait 
sometime during the rainy season, it may be four months before someone came from outside that could read the letters for him. And sometimes you have some intimacy, some, you know, if a relative write to you, you don't want everyone to know about that. And so that is the reason why he wanted his, his firstborn, it was me, to learn how to read and write. And that is the reason why he sent me to school. And to the village, it was indeed a sacrifice, a big sacrifice. Other community members in the village called him stupid. Why he's sending his kids so far? He may not come back to work on the field. Why he's sending him away? He is so stupid. Uh, but I can tell you today, I think that it's clear my father was a visionary personality. Your African name, can you just tell us what it means? My African name is actually Gembedo. But it's written Diebedo, which is wrongly uh, translated. Uh, but the positive thing with my name is uh, not everyone has this name. In my tradition, people really look to the stars. They will look, then they will decide to give you a name according to the constellation of skies. And then I got this name, which means that I am the one that will really succeed. That basically said the man that will overcome bad times and all these negative things and bring wealth to the village. Tell us about your, the first project that you did after becoming yeah. an architect. Yeah, it, for me, it was a great chance to get a scholarship to come to Berlin. It was about a training to come to Germany to do a vocational training and to go back to Burkina Faso after two years and become an activist in development sector, you know, in a cooperation work between Germany and many African countries. The fact that I got it is that the elite, uh, you know, the kids will not apply for a scholarship where you go to be trained as a carpenter for a country where you have no wood, you understand. And so already this is, I am lucky in life, you know, I got it and I came to Germany. I then decided to do my high school degree during the night while working during the day in Germany to do more, you know, to, to know how to build. You know, I was saying I am a carpenter. Now I have to know how you make, you layer bricks and how you, you draw. So I will be good enough to build an entire house, you know. I know how to make roofs and furniture. Now I need to know how to make bricks and to draw. And so I did it to be able to study architecture. So I started to travel around Germany, around Berlin, and then to check how people was building in the traditional way, in the pre-industrial age in Germany. I was interested in that. All techniques. So I can go back to Burkina Faso and combine them with the existing traditional knowledge of my country and build a house. So I didn't wait to become an architect to go back and start to build. And I built my very first school in 2001, and I graduated in architecture in 2004. I couldn't wait. It was a surprise, put it that way, that you came back and you built the school in yeah. the way that you did. So, so yeah. tell me a little bit about that. It was not easy. Um, I'm still, you know, if I'm thinking back, I'm still emotionally attached, you know, and you could hear it. It was, it was indeed um, a big challenge. And I went back. And I could raise a little bit of money. And I went back home and I told my people, okay, you asked me to fix that time existing little box that was serving as a school and was falling apart. I have a little bit of money. 
but we're going to build a new one. And everyone was like really excited about that idea uh, of getting a new school. And then when it came to material and I told them, we're going to build it out of mud, they were shocked, totally shocked, really. So using words like, okay, uh, it is these European, especially the German, they're building the most greatest car, they're building best uh, buildings, and then they don't want us to be developed. And they, they made a brainwash to Francis. That's why he think like them and just want us to start primitive and not to have something that is modern. That's why they want us to build out of mud. There was a big rejection, a big, big rejection. But I didn't give up. Keep pushing, explaining, doing mock-up and trying to explain. You start by the oldest, you know, you start by the oldest because in these kind of places, you have no record. And those that are older own the knowledge and the power, the real power. And if you can convince them, then everyone will follow. And that was so great, you know, that was so great that I happened to convince older people, 70 years old, 80 years old. Then we start to build and then using clay, but that I have improved by adding a little bit of cement. In French, they call it bloc de terre comprimé, means BTC. That is another compact earth blocks. And I could use it. You know what happened? You're building, you start with a rejection, but you start to build and you have the entire village supporting you, really, especially the women, you know? And then the walls rise. The wall become one meter high. And you know what happened? In the night, a big rain. In the memory of the people using clay, you know, using clay, oh my goodness, it's a catastrophe. The rain will destroy the, has destroyed the wall. They haven't seen it, but they know from their experience, a clay wall, one meter high, with no roof, no protection, will be destroyed automatically by rain. You know what happened? They came in the village early in the morning, in the morning, to support me in, in case I cry, you know? That's what they do, to support you. Hey, don't, don't be worried. We're going to make it again, you know? And then I heard a loud voice screaming of happiness. And then my brother came in to say, ah, you know what's happening? The village was thinking the wall has collapsed through the rain, but the wall was standing. And that is like a miracle. The walls are standing and everyone is so happy. I mean, if you have this experience, if you have this experience, you see it, even now I cannot express it without getting emotional. That is like nutrition for you, you know, to do what you have planned. But it was not easy. It was not easy at all. <laughs> Yeah. Can you describe the school? I know the problems that you were trying to fix yeah. were light and ventilation. You no, know, from the technique of the school itself, it was very simple. You know, you live in the place that is poor, that is among the poorest in the world. You have a material, it is clay, it is abundant. People used to use that. So that is one element. I wanted to use that. And then I had an idea to make it modern. Modernity is important, you know. And it should be comfortable. Comfort is so important. So I wanted to really use the most available material and come out with a concept that based on a solid circle or basement, solid circle, you know, like base where you put the fragile clay wall and you create a massive ceiling with openings and you top with a light separated roof 
that will protect the entire building against rain, but also against sun. That was the concept. You know, thinking about the Venturi system, you will just extract the hot air because the hot air is always escaping from the top of the building. In the West, if you have someone living on up of you and you heat your building, you're heating your room and he's not, your energy is used to heat his room. So you're going to pay his bill. So I am using this to extract the hot air from my building and create a, a feeling of cool comfort inside. Passive ventilation. Those was ideas that I had and I did it. And that was simple and it's still working. It is standing and the building is so strong that it's coming out with no maintenance. It is 11 years today and it is still standing like the same day. That idea of combining a contemporary sensibility with traditional building materials, using local materials. Nowadays, it seems like absolutely sensible and a sustainable way to build. In many ways, you were a real forerunner of that. But can you talk a little bit about sustainability, sustainable architecture, and what that means to you? So from me to you and to our audience, you have to know, when I started that time, there was no ideas, no knowledge about using these words sustainability. I mean, it was existing. But for me, it was key to look at around what is the most available in the given place. In this case, it was my village. So what kind of knowledge exists around it? And what other resources do we have? So to be able to create a building that will live longer, that will last longer, <laughs> that will come out with no maintenance, this is being the reason why people are rejecting. Clay building need to be repaired every year, every season, after the rainy season, if you don't come with a proper constructive idea. So that's why people are rejecting it. So for me, it was to just improve that material. It was also, while doing it, to think about how do you transfer all these new ideas that have been applied to build this house. So those are approaches that are part of my DNA. I don't need to use these words, sustainability, eco, whatever. It is, for me, is the most important thing that you just do because this is the best way. This is how people behave in African villages. Despite the growing number of population, don't forget that Africa contributes to less than 5% of the carbon footprint, really. And for me, it's about thinking how you deal with nature how you use material not cause a big burden to environment that really matters, you know, in these places. Have you managed to repeat it at a, at a larger scale? Maybe you could tell us a bit about your more recent work and, and how you've scaled up. So scaling up is a big, big issue. And that is not an easy task at all. You know, if you want to build, you really need a lot of resources. You mobilize. And if you do... A building in Africa, it takes a long time before it gets known by everybody until then, you know, a group of people realize this is the best idea we want to replicate it. Indeed, my building has been known in the West long time before they get known in Burkina. I can't tell you the technology is spreading now the way to build, not the same model, but the way to build using this material is spreading like now really fast. The more award again and the more visibility which has even helped other architects that really started in West Africa that I know that I came to Gandu from Niger to Burkina to learn from this way of making things. Uh, and then to Africa, Togo, Ghana. Now it's really getting 
fast. So it hasn't been fast enough because of, of how heavy the entire system or the construction business is, you know, and then especially in Africa. But I happen to do a lot of projects in Burkina, many, many schools, ranging from primary school, high school, and even today, universities in Burkina. But then also to try to apply this way of building in places like Mozambique, like uh, Togo, and then in Kenya. And for me, it is still not big enough. Because with this way of making, it, there is a, a potential of creating a business model. It's a way of scaling up because clay is abundant. You could just supply a workshop where you produce the bricks and they can be transferred. So there is a big potential how this can help really to shape the continent. With the price now, I'm sure more people will see what I'm doing, but I, I don't just use clay. I'm trying to use, I'm using laterite. This is another construction material that is abundant in Burkina and, and also some other places in Africa. Laterite is a sort of compact clay, naturally compact. It's coming from erosion. If you dig, you find a layer of it. And then depending on the quality of the quarry of the soil, you cut blocks out of it. I like this material also because it contains iron. And then in contact with the air, the Oxidation is happening. So the, the bricks are getting harder, very, very stable. You could build great buildings with it. But I use also local wood, whatever I can find. But that is the way I see how we can do architecture that is respectful to nature and to the ecology, you know. Africa's got some of the biggest cities in the world. Do you think it could be applied at the sort of city scale and, and applied to infrastructure? And I mean, what, what do you think is the future of those cities? We're facing a big, or let's say dramatic population growth in cities, but it's not due only migration from the rural, you know? It is also due to growth, to birth, you know? Population growth is an issue. How do you create space for all of these people? How do you create infrastructure without causing a big burden to the environment? I mean, we have always to think if Africa starts to consume like the West, it's going to be a catastrophe. We will not have enough resources for that. So we have to really consider those local material as a, a contribution to the environment, you know, and then to the climate change or how we can reduce overconsumption by using these available natural materials and then to try to build the needs for the big cities, except to bridges. But you could use them to building out of many, many story buildings because they're really stable, those kind of materials. It will just help support the other existing uh, construction material, you know, to, to provide or to cover the need of construction. No, that, it has a potential. You could build entire cities out of lateral blocks and compressed earth blocks. You will not do a skyscraper, but hey, do we need skyscrapers in Africa for the moment? They may have their place, but you know, if you see that many cities are flat, like two to three story buildings, and it has a potential to, to be scalar because you have a system to come to a sort of industrial production. I see a, a chance and to create cities also using these materials. Not only, but it can contribute to a major part to really build our cities. How did that shift from 
an African village, which most of us living in the West can't even imagine. I mean, we, we cannot imagine life with a community that doesn't even read or write and, and communicates complete with a 100% oral tradition. And how did the school change things? Has that oh, community really changed? My school project has changed the village dramatically, dramatically, and also myself. It is this project that helped shape my career. It is the primary school that I built. One thing is clear, today we may have more than 1,000 students in the village already. This is fact from not having a school and like being one of the very rare from that village, very rare, to have start to, or like the, one of the very first to attend education, to be able to read, to now have 1,000 present students in the village is a big step towards going away from a culture where knowledge is orally transmitted with his weaknesses, things may be misinterpreted, to, to uh, a, a society where you have more, more people can read and can have free access to free information. It is a big win, a big, big, total big win. And then for the community, kids can stay with their community, their parents, and learn how to read and write. That is win. So if you know how to read and write, you can access free information. This is so great. But something that is important, really important, is the fact that during construction, we have trained people. And the key is, while I'm talking to you sitting somewhere in Berlin, these people with the size that ranging from 60 or 40 core team member to 200, 300 young people are finding a living. They can earn money working on construction sites and fit their families. And this is fundamental. Normally, these young people has to move out from Burkina Faso, you know, from the village or from Burkina Faso and go somewhere else to make a living. And honestly, some never come back. And that is what it has brought to the village. A big change. If you live in the place where knowledge has been orally transmitted, the way the retransmission is, it can be disformed, misunderstood, and it leads to deformation. Nowadays, you will see a lot of people fearing to get vaccine. We know, in fact, that it's reality if you don't protect yourself against COVID. And people like me, have gained voices we can convince. Like just to just mention this about that. If people have no access to real information, you can manipulate them easily. Those are things that are irrational. Or you have things that are unknown, but they're good for the society. You know, in some of my projects, I am using elements from the culture, like the labra palabra, the palabra tree. Mentally, for every African coming from the rural, the countryside, a tree is more than just a tree. If you call together under a tree, it is just calling you for being neutral and open in face of nature. So I am using these to really say, how can a nation use these notions to create a sort of community, to create a nation pride, proud of something, Instead of going to the U.S. and make a ship copy of the White House, you may do the building, but democracy will not be inside. Therefore, you need to touch people emotionally.
Doing so, you have to dig in the culture. What makes these people, what matter to these people? For the African, this is what will mobilize them. This is what call them, what will catch them, their attention. That make them proud. I was interested in your use of the analogy of the White House and, uh, you know, you can build the building, but you won't have democracy. Do you have any, are there any lessons for leaders about democracy and how you kind of reach the hearts and minds of, of communities and, and mobilize them in the right way? For me, and what I have seen doing in my work is like, first, we need patience, time to listen to people. And if it comes to democracy in terms of political system, everyone that applying for that system should know you're not elected to become a king. You're elected for a given time to serve people that has elected you. So the problem is in some places in Africa, to become the leader is a source of income. You have to care for people because they needed you for a given purpose. And we need time. And if you are in a poor nation, then it is important to go back deep in your culture and dig and try to find elements that are unifying, that people have big respect for. That is key to do. The fact that you have been elected, there is hope in you. If you promise to do something, you should do it. And if you cannot, you should let it be. This is, I mean, it's difficult to say, but these are things that I think are so essential. It will bring trust again to our political system. This is so important. And, and then if you are a leader in the Western country, you have to give those in countries like Burkina Faso a time to grow. Your democratical system is rooted in fight. But if you don't give these people the time to do that, to discover this, it will never work. It will, it will remain cheap copy of the Western system, which means there is no real democracy and no real growth in terms of economic, in terms of even cultural, because you come to impose something that is new, destroying the existing one. For everyone, everyone it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. And I will encourage everyone in Africa to look first for solutions in the country instead of looking toward the West. I'm always waiting the West should give us. This is not true. No, this is not a good way to just focus on waiting for someone that will come and fix your problem. You have to fix it yourself. Really, you have to fix it. Everyone has a voice, I assume. That's what I believe in. And then we should just stop to making other people responsible of what is happening to us that work hard to transform of our communities. I mean, my little intervention has showing you that you could really stop to be a student and even refuse to, to graduate and go back to your little village and do something for your community, really, really because of from your heart. And then things like I did will happen. You understand? Now I have a career as an architect. I even win we have one Pritzker Prize. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the Pritzker Prize, the most important <laughs> award in my profession. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, we have time. We would just respond to this. I, I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, you know. No, it's it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How have you 
you lead the, these projects as a kind of community leader and also as an architect. How, yeah, well, how do you think you've changed as a leader as you've kind of evolved in your career? First of all, I would love to watch myself evolving. You are in something, you know, that you try to make, but that is also transforming you and could see it happening. Sometimes you see it's positive. What is sure, nothing is constant. Nothing. You look back to see who you are, have been, but to see that you have been resilient, but also looking forward, you know, never stop. Then I know that I have changed, you know, I have changed. Uh, nowadays, I see things better. I know that it, it, it will work because I started with no evidence of success. And you see what you can do, what you can achieve. And so, yeah, it's transforming me. Sometimes I was like, wow, uh, pessimistic. If you see that people try to do like you did, and they have been much more successful, especially in terms of economic, if I try to compare myself. But if you really focus, hey, who I am? I'm the young man coming from Gando. I'm not from Berlin, from Brandenburg, or from Paris. So, oh, wow, how I have achieved. And then you realize, wow, how great and wonderful a luck it was for me to do what I'm doing and what a situation. What would you say to students, architecture students who are kind of graduating this year? What, what message do you give them? It is never too late. So for our audience and for you, I have to tell you, I started to study when I was 30. I had another motivation. I believed in what I wanted to give to my people. And I was looking for a solution to do that. So for young students, I will say, don't be shy. Don't think that it's too late for you. Don't think you have no talent. I had no talent, you know. When I started to study, I will go to shop and, and study the number of colorful pencils exist. I was looking through that and say, wow, what abundance. You can come from scarcity. I mean, someone that cannot afford everything and you bring it to greatness. It is possible. Never give up. Be resilient and use any opportunities that is opening to you. Be it just use math to build a school like I did. You know, use whatever you can find, no matter where you are, and you will succeed. Is there a, is there a book that you'd recommend? I'm going a lot to classics to be rooted. You know, we're living in a fast world. Everything is fast. And then sometimes you're wondering, then I, I will go back to ancient, like, like 2,000 years ago, to try to, to read things that are supporting to me and even about time. You know, Senec wrote, Senec is a philosopher who wrote over 2,000 years ago. So all these people that are taking your time, people that are wasting your time, and you realize that this has been always human struggle, where people come to bother you. I'm talking about focus, how to be focused. I'm trying to really see this. So it leaded me to read everything and to listen to everything that exists. And then I went, I'm going now to classics. I think about Victor Hugo that I read, among many other, because of Candide, the source of the better world. The story about being, fleeing, looking for a, a better place. And you will find it where you are. You start with your community. You cannot escape. Those kind of literature helped me again. Then you realize human journey is a struggle. And then what is counting is try to be yourself, to be positive, really to hang up with people that can give you intellectually a lot of things, 
a, f- a lot of food, like uh, that what you can give, you know, getting nutrish, you know, intellectually or emotionally from other and to give it to other that they need. Do you think the Pritzker Prize will change things for you? Do you think it will be a turning point or will you just carry on doing all your great work as yeah. before? When I got the announcement, I was speechless. Um, yes, I cried for many, many, I mean, I cannot tell you. So you've been fighting to do things, you know. I started in Gando. We had like this criticism from a member of your family, you know, that will say he's stupid why he's doing the school like my father at that time was seen as a stupid that he sent his son away. In my case, you would have like some people that, that love you, that are advisors. Why you don't build a house for your man? Why you don't build for your father? Why are you building for the, the school? It is a government issue. The government should do that. You should not. And then suddenly you get awareness. You inspire the village. Really. They will tell you a little story. It's one day in the village, I was in the site to finalize things by myself to check. And then an older person get brought to the school by a little kid. So I realized he couldn't see very well. And he said he wanted to talk to me. He came to say, you have to come to my compound, which is about 400 meters, 500 meters from the school. From my compound, you have the best view of the school. Can you imagine? But he couldn't see. So that is... What I have created, you know, it was a lot of emotion. It, it flowed within the people that really they embodied it, is there. And so if you have that experience in the one hand and then the reaction, you could easily give up. Already seeing this person being so proud about what we have created. And now... You keep doing it. Now you come to the professional world where people ask you to do. You keep running, having no time for nothing else, for family. And then you keep do. And you see yourself one day, at least with the title, with an award, put within a, a higher level of people from your profession. Listen, you understand what I want to tell you. It has changed me. The Prisca means a lot. Prisca came to tell me, hey, Francis, it is great what you've been doing as an architect, potentially as a leader in your field. It is game-changing. It's not just an honor. It is a big encouragement. It say you, hey, it was worth to do what you have done. And for sure, it will change me even positively. One thing that is clear, let me say practically, I have been given the power to say no. You remember, I was struggling how to say people no without feeling you rejected them. Yeah, liberating. Who do you say no to? If someone just wants to have a project where it's about, um, about make sure you have maximum of square meter to rent it for expensive money, I don't think I'm qualified for that, for example. You know, now I have been given the authority to say no. That was Francis Carey. Thanks so much to Francis and to Gail, and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcast, is available at wef.ch podcasts. If you liked this episode with Francis, check out an episode with the equally charming and humble Linduwe Matlari, the founder of Africa Teen Geeks, Africa's largest computer science nonprofit. She talks about creating opportunity for Africa and what lessons she has taken from her own mentor, Marion Croak of Google. 
This episode of Meet the Leader was presented by me with Jerry Johansson as editor and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.